I'll ask anybody's questions but yours, if you're an idiot. My wife can score more than two buckets on 11 shots because I know my wife will at least shot fake one time. I want they bury me upside down and my critics can kiss my Welcome in to another Made for March, getting you ready for the weekend of college hoops. Tim Leonard and Tyler Aki here with you, recording on Friday, right around 11 a.m. East Coast time. guess what, Tim? Guess what? What's that? March is officially underway. It may be February 25th, 26th on on your calendars, but the Horizon League tournament started last night. We got a buzzer beater as well. (laughs) It's officially March. Once Champ Week begins, it's officially March. So, happy March to you. Yeah, and for a podcast that is literally titled Made for March after getting that... Cease and desist, John Rothstein. Yeah, seriously. But after getting that stripped last year from us, I'm very, very excited to see some form of an NCAA tournament, which we We will get into details. We thought we were the omen. We thought that we wrecked this entire thing, but... Hope, fingers crossed. Again, there's still a lot of of time to screw a lot of stuff up, but fingers crossed. We will get into some of the announcements this week on the contingency plans, what it will mean, what what it will take for a team to be ineligible for the NCAA tournament in terms of COVID concerns. We'll get into all that at some point during this podcast, but we have to start with the Big Ten games that were last night, Thursday night, and I guess we... Yeah, I mean, unbelievable stretch of back-to-back games here. And the Michigans win out. We'll start with Michigan, who is now, I would say, clearly... Are are we ready to group them into the Gonzaga-Baylor tier? I don't know if they're in the tier, but they're they're in the one-seed tier uh, of the one-seeds who aren't aren't looking back. I mean, what's it going to take? A a first-round Big Ten loss coupled with a couple of losses here down the stretch? I mean, that, that that's what, that to me is the only way they can lose their grip on this one seed. Yeah, they seem firmly on the, on the third one seed right now, and that's because of a number of things. One, their last two games have been remarkable. The win by five at Ohio State, and then they just basically take it to Iowa at home. 79-57 is the final, but they minimize Luka Garza the entire game. He goes, I believe, six for 19, yep. ends up with 16 points. It was... Kind of similar to his Carolina performance, where if you have some big bodies against him, I think he was 6-for-20 against UNC, although Iowa was still tremendous on offense against a very down UNC team in the early part of the year. Big but this win Michigan for team, the Illini. I mean, they felt like they won twice last night, between yeah. <laughs> Luka sucking and, and and them going out and crushing the Huskers. I mean, Illinois fans, they, 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 they put two W's in their pocket schedule last night. Yeah, and it's a shame because I would assume it was hurt now, broken nose, right. and who knows how long he's going to be out, but we kind of talked about how the player of the year race was going to sort itself out some way. Yeah, and not the way we hoped it would, Yeah, but it looked it, like it It probably sorted itself out, um, but I will say this, if I'll, if he misses limited time, comes back as a masked man, again, broken nose, but if he comes back as a masked man... I mean, first of all, nobody would be embracing the spirit of this pandemic season more than Io if he wore a <laughs> a Rip Hamilton, Kobe Bryant style mask, Kyrie Irving, whatever you want. But he's doing that. Plus, he's averaging twenty one six and five while shooting over forty percent from three. Never been done before. I don't know. Like, if he has this sort of, I don't, I don't want to call it a villainous look because I feel like people view him as the good guy in the Player of the Year race. Um, but like, if he has this sort of mystique to him, on top of these fantastic numbers, could he potentially? I don't know. I mean, he's got the storylines, he's got the moments of the season, and if he comes out with the mask, that just feels like a cherry on top, doesn't it? It would be awesome. I mean, it would it definitely would give be, him yeah. some bonus points. But I just feel like if you're Illinois at this point, you're just taking it very cautiously with him. Yeah, and, and also that was a very impressive. I, I know they're playing Nebraska, but. I didn't expect an IO-less Illini team to go out there and win by, what was it, almost 20 points? Yeah, they so, crushed him. They, I mean, they killed him. Uh, I, I also love how, and we'll get back to Michigan and Iowa in a second, um, but I love how everyone is treating IO's season like it's his senior season. Like, usually the social accounts and the players themselves and the coaching staff, they, they beat around the bush. I mean, even at Kentucky, 
they'll beat around the bush of, oh, is this guy coming back? Even though everyone knows he's not coming back. Io kissed the the center logo last night on senior night. The, the, yeah. the Illinois men's basketball account, their Twitter account, tweeted out the video of him hitting that dagger against Northwestern, and it was like, this is the last shot that Io will ever take at the State Farm Center. It was like, whoa, like, <laughs> yeah. he's only a junior. Like, theoretically, he could come back. Right. Obviously, but he's it's not, not like going he's to. a lottery pick. He'll go somewhere late first to mid-second, yeah. probably. He feels like but... one of those guys who he has a chance to really bolster his stock if he did some workouts, too. And, and we'll see. There's so much time. But, yeah, he's probably a first-round pick, probably not a lottery pick at this point. But it, it's just I find it so weird how everyone has just automatically declared him uh, – um, he's declaring for the draft, essentially. He's already yeah. out there. He's already testing waters. I mean, for all we know, he's probably signed an agent. I mean, did the Illinois men's basketball account, are, are they serving as his agent after last night? Because that, hmm. I, I was floored when I saw that tweet. Props to him, because usually that's kind of a tough PR thing to get by, and some people will go at you even if it's, you know, there's just always haters out there on Twitter that are like, why are you leaving? Right. You should have come back. Well, He's got the best of both worlds right now. He's up for the discussion, at least. I don't know if it's going to happen, but National Player of the Year became a thing for him in the latter part of the year. And while that happened simultaneously, you're right, everyone just is at peace with the fact that he's leaving, and they love him. Like, who doesn't like right. Iodesumo right now? Oh, my God. He, he, he is Illinois' sweetheart. And I'm not just talking about the school. I'm talking about the entire state right now. I mean, it goes... Io and then like 50 feet of crap and then sister Jean right now i mean that's what it is i, I, I will say this one last little io thing and then we can get back into this sure. this michigan game but is io system point guard because uh andre Curbelo <laughs> was two assists away from a triple double last night so just want to just want to point that out there he went 10 12 and 8 wow. and if it wasn't a blowout he may have been able to get those last two assists but he does play 31 minutes off the bench uh, only came off the bench because it was senior night, uh, and so they wanted to get a senior out there. And and he, I think Brad Underwood saw who he was playing. I was like, you know what? Let, let's let the senior get some big minutes in the early going. I think he stayed in a while too. Like usually, you see the seniors play, and they'll get like till the first timeout, first dead ball. But I think they racked up some decent minutes for some of these seniors um, right. on senior night. But anyway, Curbelo almost had a triple double. So. Does that invalidate some of Io's triple doubles? Is that the com- that's the conversation Iowa fans are having this morning? That's all no. I'm saying. <laughs> I, I'd say, I'd say it's still pretty remarkable. No, that's an impressive game from Curbelo, though. I, I guess some of it is Nebraska too, a little bit. And the senior night thing, I, I don't know about you, but that has been one of the weirder parts about this year. Like last week, yeah. Texas played Kansas, and they won. We should note that game. I mean, Texas got a big comeback win in overtime. And it was on senior night, but now the Longhorns have like five more games and the regular, they have four more games, I think, left to play on their schedule. And they're just all on the road by happenstance. And there was no fans there. It's just odd. <laughs> it doesn't feel yeah. like it's happening, but it is happening. And right. it's one of those moments that you just really need fans for. But getting back to this Iowa-Michigan game, Iowa now 17-7 and overall, I think they're kind of out of the chase for a one seed unless they were to win the Big Ten conference title, tournament title, that is. Uh, We should note that Iowa got some bad injury luck in this game. Jack Nungie went down in the first minute, didn't return, Mm -hmm. hope he's okay. Connor McCaffrey, another guy who was sidelined for a good chunk of the game because of injury, played only 17 minutes. But Michigan, again, the thing about Michigan that's just remarkable they're just such a great team, and I know that's such oh an obvious God. take. I know, yeah, it's it, it's it incredible what they do. Both both ends of the floor, up and down. I mean, the roster it, it goes only seven or so deep, but yeah, it feels like it's more than that at times. Right, and it's amazing. You can name all seven of their players, and I know that like yeah. we're college basketball diehards. We cover this on a podcast. We we should be able to name it. But there's really not even, as much as we watch college basketball, it'll take you some time to get down, like, through the Illinois roster. Like, we could do it, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. And Illinois is another one of those elite teams. But take, like, Tennessee. Like, we can name probably four or five off the top of our head. And then you might look at the roster and be like, oh, yeah, like, there's that guy off the bench who plays some minutes for them. 
everyone that plays for Michigan, like going down to Austin Davis, who I thought did a good job in this game containing Garza as well. And I know uh, Ross, yep. yeah, Rothstein has compared him to Craig Forth from the Syracuse 2003 national title team, which is just kind of a Rothstein thing to do, I guess. But <laughs> they get so much from Shonda Brown off the bench. Like it's just a very good seven that they're putting out there each and every night. And they play so well collectively together. I look at this game and my takeaway was, am I more impressed with Michigan or am I more wary of what Iowa did? And to me, this is no question. I am more impressed with Michigan. I mean, you go out, you hold the best offense in the country to 57 points. You can point, oh, injury this, injury that. But how many of the guys that really got hurt in this game provided the big enough spark offensively where it's like, okay, I can discredit that. I can discredit this. None of them really. And like, like Nunji goes down, but at the end of the day, he's a backup center. Like how much is he really going to give you offensively? I look at what Hunter Dickinson did against Luca Garza. I'm glad that that was the physical matchup. It was in this game. That was a lot of fun to watch. And it, it was just a, a, a real treat to see Michigan finally really have their defense validated. I know that some people were, were really con- not concerned about the defense, but it was just like, uh, how good is their defense? Are they really a top 10 Ken Palm defense? And then you go out, you put together this performance, you hold the best offensive team in the country to 57 points, a season low for them. And that was everything you needed to see. That was Michigan defense and, and the offense came to play. They they put up almost 80 in this one as well. So I was really thoroughly impressed by Michigan. So the top three in Ken Palm now, again, we've been discussing this all year long. It was the one to two gap. Then it was the two to three gap. Now, now we're talking look three at, to four gaps. Yeah, it, right. Now you look at the adjusted EM. So basically the efficiency metric on Ken Palm and 36.75 for Gonzaga. Then it drops to 33.11 for Baylor, which I'm sure they were docked a lot by that Iowa State game this week, which was... <laughs> It was a little bit of a scare. I know they were coming yeah. off the long COVID mm-hmm. pause. It was 21 days without a game, but it was a little concerning the way that Iowa State hasn't won a Big 12 game all year, and, and they were up by 17 in the first half. But anyway, Baylor's still on being their 33.11, only a drop to 32.62 on Ken Palm's adjusted efficiency ranking to get to Michigan. And then it's Houston, which I would not have guessed is the fourth best team on Ken right. Palm, but they are. They're 28.69. So... If you go off those numbers, there's a big three right now, and then there's the rest of it. And I didn't think we'd get to that point, especially the way that Michigan had that untimely pause at, at the por- portion of Big Ten play when I thought they'd come back and struggle. And they have they have not struggled one lick. I mean, you could say the first half against Wisconsin, and if that's the extent of your struggles, you will take that because that second half was absolutely dominant. And, uh, I mean, they just keep rolling. I, I mean... I, I get it's college basketball, and, and we can play the, the whole spot the loss thing the rest of the way, but, I mean, seriously, you've got Indiana on the road this weekend. Then you've got Illinois. They might not have Io DeSumo. If they don't have DeSumo, they don't have a chance against you because we've seen now that Hunter Dickinson can handle some of these bigger-bodied centers. So it, it's just been so, so cool to watch, and then they'll wrap it all up with Michigan State. So... I don't, the defense, I mean, the offense is catching up to the defense. The defense keeps catching up to the offense. I mean, it just feels like an iron sharpens iron thing. And I think this all kind of goes back to the preseason. Everyone kind of knocked Michigan for not having that big win for so long into the season. And I think they actually got the traditional preseason. Maybe not the volume of games, but at least to the extent, I mean, you open up the season against Bowling Green, a top 125 team in Ken Palm. Sure, top 125 doesn't sound great, but most teams are opening up with top 250s, top 300s. You have to get to that threshold. You played a bunch of top 150 teams in your non-conference slate. It wasn't the level that Gonzaga played, but it was the primer to get this team to gel, and I don't think Jawan Howard has gotten enough credit for that. Yeah, and when you look back, their loss to Minnesota looks even more puzzling now, the way that Minnesota's been playing. And it was a, I mean, they got blitzed in the barn, though. But yeah, it's, that was it's a legit barn loss. loss, though. That was yeah. a legit barn loss. We're not going to hold them prisoner for it, so. Yeah, and it's amazing. I mean, since they lost to Minnesota, they crushed Maryland, beat Purdue by 17, 
and then they go on the long COVID pause from the 22nd of January to February 14th, come back, beat Wisconsin, and what might still be their best win of the year, honestly. The the way that they came back, I thought they were dead to rights in that game. And I, I thought my prophecy of them struggling after the pause and going into a tough stretch of the schedule was going to hold true because that's on the road too. And I know it's not a normal road game this year, but it still means something. Yeah, I mean, you look at out of the pause, I believe they have covered all four games. They're covered, that's not just one, covered all four games. The the one that's, I'm, look, I'm eyeballing right now, the one that might not be is a seven-point win against Rutgers. I'd have to go and look and see what that line was. But, I mean, I would say the Wisconsin is the most heroic performance they've had and their best all-around performance. It's a toss-up between Ohio State and Iowa, but I'd probably give it to the Iowa game last night just because of what they did defensively against Luka Garza. And then offensively, you went out and put up nearly 80 points on the board, and you blew out one of the best teams in the country. So... To me, especially when you're blowing out offensive teams like that, right? It's it's super super impressive what they did. I mean, they contained the player of the year front runner to 16 points on, on four of uh, or on six of 19 shooting. It was just unbelievable what they went out and pulled off. So my yeah, my they hat, gave Garza fits. They, yeah. yeah, they they really did. And shout out to Hunter Dickinson because he's a big part of that. No doubt. I didn't expect. Iowa to be held to 57 points and on Iowa it is concerning how much they seem disoriented and just struggle once a guy goes down like CJ Frederick was down for that stretch and they kind of just played like a 40th ranked team for a little bit and then he came back and they started to look good Nunji and McCaffrey go down in this game and it's just like they it's like one guy leaves and the conveyor belt just snaps or something. Right. It's very that's puzzling. The, that's the thing is we've seen other teams where they face adversity and it's it's bend, don't break, right? Like Illinois. They they are seeing a lot of adversity right now without Io. And, and if you want to go back earlier, the, the game where Io fouls out against Indiana and it was like, oh, is this going to be one of those losses that Illinois feels like they should have had? if Io's in the game, but no, I mean, they, they go out, they, they beat Indiana pretty handily in overtime. They go out, they, they crush Nebraska. And like, I know those aren't the two upper echelon teams that uh, like, they're obviously no Michigan, but this was a close game. Like Michigan and Iowa was a three point game at the half. And once McCaffrey goes out, they, they just broke in half. I mean, they, they snapped like a Buffalo bills tailgate table. That's what happened. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good Especially because it. this team actually played pretty good defense in the first half, too. Like, if you're Iowa, you're going up against Michigan, you'll take 32 points allowed in the first half. But no it's doubt. the 47 that, like, their defense has gotten better. And I think you saw that in the first half of this game. If you're holding uh, Michigan to 32 points, you will take that and run to the bank if you're Iowa because you'd expect that your offense would probably have 35 or so on the other end. Obviously not the case in this one, but they put together a solid defensive effort in the first half. But when you don't have the offense that you're accustomed to with Iowa, that's when you start to get some some major red flags. And I think once we get to the tournament, we have to look at some of the offensive teams and say, if they have off shooting nights, are they no dead to rights? Yeah. And Iowa is the biggest culprit of that. Like I look at Alabama, all right? prolific offense they can shoot the lights out but they have struggled to shoot the lights out lately however if Alabama's not shooting well they still have a chance to win games because their defense is so good so even even the defense I think has teetered off a little bit for Alabama but we'll see if they can figure it out in the SEC tournament that's yeah. why I'm worried about I because like if the if the offense is is a power outage well you're screwed. I mean, this team, if the offense does not come to play in a 3-14 matchup in the first round, they're going to lose. Yeah, they probably will. And I, like we said, they've always had a big vulnerability to lose early in the NCAA tournament. Final thing from me on Michigan, Juwan Howard's coach of the year. And I know I think like, he wrapped it up. Yep. Mark Few's probably going to win. But it's a it's a three horse race right now between those top three teams, and you could make a case for any of them. But like we'll get into Ohio State here in a second. I will say this though: you 
you say you think Mark Few's going to win. At the end yeah. of the day, when you've got as many great candidates as you do, it sort of becomes a bit of a popularity contest. And Jawan Howard's winning that popularity contest, right? Like, Fab yeah. Five. He kind of embodies the spirit of college basketball. He left the NBA to come coach at his alma mater. I don't know. I, I think Jawan Howard definitely wins that popularity contest. But And I'm with you. I think he's the coach of the year after last night. And we'll see what he does the rest of the way. But if they win the Big Ten, there is no doubt in my mind. No doubt Also, has a assistant coach ever gotten as much credit as Phil Martelli? As Phil Martelli, like, yeah. We shouted it out on this podcast. I think it's very well deserved. But now every time you watch a Michigan game, they cut to him. And they're like, Temple should have never got, like, what like what a hire from Jawan Howard. And right. there's all these stories about... Like, you were talking about how John Beeline was on Titus and Tate and said, yeah, like, Juwan came to me, and I, I had that name he in mind. He did his homework, yeah. Right. It's 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 such a theme now. It's like the, I, I don't know, there's always these jokes in golf where when they cut to, like, Dustin Johnson, and I watch a lot of golf, obviously, you have to say, like, oh, he can dunk a basketball, or you have to bring up, right. like, Pauline Negret. Like, there's one or two lines that you keep repeating, and that's what it is for Michigan right now. Like, if you're doing a Michigan broadcast – you have to talk about, oh, but unbelievable what that staff he hired. And it's like, yeah, it's true. But also, like, can we give a lot of credit to Juwan Howard, too, for the job right. he's doing individually? I'm trying to think who, if we had to do a quick power rankings of the most talked about assistants in college basketball, real quick, let's just kind of filter through some of them. Definitely, I mean, this year, Martelli is head and shoulders above yeah. the rest. I think John Shire gets a lot of love. It's like the big name schools from that point on, I'd say. Right. Because even yeah. you'll hear people be like, "Oh yeah, Hubert Davis is an assistant at yeah. UNC." Like, <laughs> Did you know he coaches the JV team. Yeah, but it's not like, oh my gosh, Hubert Davis is instrumental to that team, or John Shire's the reason why they're succeeding. I think Capel, when he was at Duke, I was gonna say, yeah, we have not yeah. talked about an assistant this much since Capel was at Duke. Yeah, because of the bag dropping and what he was bringing, but. Yeah, I, I still think Martelli's being talked about in a different way. It, it's like he does all the X's and O's or something, and he's the I don't know. It, it's just really become a storyline in the past couple of weeks, and people are just taking it and running with it. But let's get yeah. into Ohio State, Michigan State here. Chris Holtman gets a technical late stages of the game. And, and deservedly so. I mean, yeah, holy officiating. Right. Like you're saying he deserved a the technical the- or he deserved to be complaining. He deserved to be complaining. Like, he, I mean, that game had ref ball written all, there were a lot of games actually this week where there was some suspect officiating. I think Alabama was another one of those games against, uh, who did they play this week? They played Arkansas, Arkansas, where, where there was a lot of suspect officiating. And I, I've got a one and done on that as well, which we can get to. But I mean, I look at Ohio State and they were clearly the better team in this game. Uh, they're playing without Kyle Young too, which I think is worth noting. Um, so, but Michigan State, let's give credit where credit is due. Oh, they yeah. come out, put together a stellar final ten minutes here, where they outscore the Buckeyes by nine. And I, I'm not gonna declare them back in in the tournament conversation because I mean they're seven and nine, but they're certainly creeping back that way. If you can pick off one of these wins against Michigan down the stretch. And then if you can go two and two, given that what the slate is for Michigan State now, you got Maryland and Indiana, and then you got a home and home with Michigan. If you can go two and two here down the stretch, you all of a sudden work your way back into the conversation. Yeah. And, I and think they've taken down back-to-back one seeds, you could say. In a, right. Like, at least one seed contenders between Illinois right. and Ohio State. Yeah. I mean, the Illinois game was convincing fashion, and I guess that that's another game you could talk about ref ball. I mean, when when they're whacking Io DeSumo, they broke his nose in the game, and they're just playing old-school basketball, and just, it felt like, I mean, I know you're in the state of Michigan, it felt like the bad boy Pistons. Like, that's what it yeah. was. That's how they played that Illinois game. And you wonder, has Izzo unlocked the physicality factor that this team, like, remember not too long ago when Tom Izzo, I think he yelled at, was it Aaron Henry? This was like two years ago or, or a year ago, something like that. Oh, and, and then he, yeah. The people he lost apologize. their minds. He had right. to apologize for yelling at a kid. 
Now I think he has gotten the physicality factor to where it needs to be, up to Izzo's standards to make these runs. And now, I mean, they've unlocked a little something here. Indiana's not a bad team. You go out, you beat Indiana on the road, and then you pick up wins against Illinois and Ohio State. They've got the most impressive three-game winning streak in the country right now. And I don't like they're starting to creep their way back in. If you can put together a couple of quality Big Ten tournament wins, I'm not asking for you to go out, beat Iowa, beat Ohio State, but if you go two and two, and you can knock off like a Purdue, Indiana, um, a Rutgers, something of that nature, and maybe couple that with a, a Penn State win, you might be knocking on the door of something here. Yeah. No, to, I, to get I think into they're this tournament. Like I kind of see them in the. I'm kind of coming to the realization that there's going to be Michigan State as an 11 seed and Duke as. an I'm 11 telling seed. you this, all right. Two two of the three teams are going to face each other in, in the first four. Duke, Michigan State, Indiana. It's gonna happen. Oh, that'd be great. I can't wait. <laughs> like, how odd is that going to be to see Duke against Michigan State in the first four in Indianapolis? No, like I guess there or be like some Indiana fans. Duke like. That one of those two matchups is going to happen. It's going yeah. to happen. Well, then Kentucky's probably going to win the SEC conference tournament and get like a 13 seed and right. <laughs> and be in somehow. It's honestly, why didn't we see this coming? I'm kind of mad at us. Like, yeah, this, for this not seeing so the veteran teams. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like we talked about it all year. Why? Why were the Blue Bloods struggling? Because they didn't have the offseason. Like, it made too much sense. There were too many blue bloods struggling for it not to be at least something to do with the weirdness of the season. And we were on it early, and we talked about how there's a lot of factors that go into why they're struggling. And when you're relying on freshmen this year, it's not leading great. And we've been on the minutes continuity stuff and how those teams have been doing well. And then we get to the point. And then the, the team season, with the minutes continuity edges are all of a sudden starting to take a little bit of a dip. Right. Too. We should have like, seen look that, at Mizzou. Though. Look at yeah. Mizzou. They, they, they've fallen off because the everyone else's freshmen have become sophomores and, and their seniors are just still seniors. And I, I think we just sort of like forgot about it. And we should have realized that Michigan State, I watched them play Ohio State last night, right? The, I know they didn't have Kyle Young, Ohio State, but still, Michigan State is probably the more talented team than Ohio State. Like, if you're lining up their rosters, I think so. I mean, I think Michigan State this year has been underwhelming, and a lot of their guys haven't delivered, but Hauser, like, they've got guys still. Bingham, Aaron Henry look good in yeah, that I game. Look at, I look Langford. at Michigan State. I mean, just go back and look at some of the box scores from Michigan State of, like, the middle to, to up until about four or five games ago in the Big Ten. Tom Izzo was playing 10 or 11 guys significant minutes and it was be it was not the 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 Leonard Hamilton school of thought of we have to preserve the stamina of these kids. It was I have zero clue who's good on this team, and I just got to throw a bunch of stuff at the wall and see if something sticks. And you you just look at you, you were playing all these different guys. I mean, there was no consistent rotation. But over the course of these last three games now, Izzo I think has started to figure it out. You're seeing consistently. Aaron Henry, Gabe Brown, Josh Langford, all getting about 30 or so minutes. Rocket Watts, I mean, we've seen games this year where he plays 10 to 12 minutes. He's now more consistently getting 25 to 30. And just the the consistency of the rotations. You're not going out there and hurling desperation plays by playing 11 or 12 guys. Now you're, you've found a consistent group of eight. And again, that might change a little bit when Foster Lawyer comes back. But you found a consistent group of eight guys now that you can rely on night in and night out. And he just hasn't had that. And that yeah. is ultimately what has sparked the change. He's found that consistency in the lineup. And it comes down to what you said, too. The Blue Bloods are figuring it out now after the, the weird offseason. They're getting some better point guard play. All, all these guards that were freshmen are into a new role. Like Rocket Watts, he's not a freshman, but... He's a, basically a freshman in that role of leading the team at the point guard spot. And he started to just be a little bit smarter, be a little bit wiser in his time. Ohio State, they really just have like three guys that you have to worry about. And it's Washington, Liddell, and C.J. Walker. And I know Kyle Young didn't play in this game. But even him, like he's a good player. But if you're scouting the team, it's kind of nice that 
you're just like, okay, those three guys, we got to shut them down. And I do feel like they just don't have that good of a five, six, seven in terms of comparing it to other national title teams. Like they're obviously and it looks pretty like, good. I mean, if we had to pick the 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 suspect out of the the Big Ten one seed contenders between Ohio State, Illinois, and Michigan, I think you and I both kind of figured Ohio State things were going to catch up to them at a certain point. Like sure. it, it just fe- kind of felt that way. Things had been going well for too long for them, and and listen, they could they could perk back up. This could be the the Chris Holtman like third five fifth dimension chess game that he's playing right here of. I need I need these kids to struggle a little bit just so we're not peaking a little too early. But I I'm it felt that like this Ohio State team things were gonna catch up to them at a certain point. And now we're starting to see it. Yeah. So Michigan State somehow now first four out in the NCAA tournament on Lenardi's bracketology, fifty-eight on Kempom. I think I mean I've come to the realization that they're making the tournament at this point. Where are you? They're gonna at? make the turn um They'll weasel their way in somehow. I don't yeah. know exactly how that's going to be. And maybe this is the perfect opportunity now to to get into the story of the week in terms of the NCAA tournament. But so yeah, go they, they come out with the plan that this, there's going to be the, the obvious field of 68. But on top of that, they're going to have the first four teams out as the quote unquote standby teams if they decide to accept the offer. First four teams out will slot in if a team goes down with COVID. Now, if you're out of – once everyone's in, it, the bracket's not changing, okay? So let's say – and knock on wood, this doesn't happen – but let's say Gonzaga is the one that, that comes down with COVID issues. If Michigan State is that first team out, they are going to slide into the one seed and play whatever 16 seed Gonzaga was about to go beat the living piss out of. So yeah. that that's that's how this is going to work. I find it interesting. I don't have a better solution. I frankly am not uh, opposed to, to how they're doing this because you kind of have to work on the fly. And I know some people have said, well, you could just shift everyone up a, a seed line just because everyone's already in Indianapolis and, and it would work out. But, I mean, you got to remember, the, these coaches are game planning for things. I, I'm cool with it. I, it's It's going to be a weird year. And will that be an asterisk one seed for Michigan State? Sure. I say you just call them a 17 seed when they get into these tournaments and if they are taking over for a certain team. But it's going to be weird. And listen, if college basketball has shown us anything, and I hope I'm wrong on this front too, the field of 68 that gets in is not going to be the field of 68 that participates. Like that, that we've just seen it so much, yeah. not just in college basketball but in college football we're seeing it in some of these spring sports that are starting right now as well whatever the field of 68 is that starts will likely not be the field of 68 I really, that finishes i don't have any concern about when you get there will any teams get it once they're there because right. i think they'll do their every player there will be extra cautious i bet i i agree i don't think you're gonna see the the maskless parties like we saw with Chris Mack or, or the UNC players. I, once you get to the tournament, that stuff, yeah. you, you no longer have much to sacrifice. You've got way too much at stake at that point. However, you just always have to think about the little things. Like, what if the, the hotel housekeeper it, it drops by and, and they have COVID? Or, or someone at the, the front desk and they're asymptomatic and they don't know. Like, it's just some of these little things. You don't know. And it can just be dumb luck at some times. And, and like, listen, I, I know that I gave Louisville the, the the essential death penalty for this year's NCAA tournament, but that's because they did it three times. When they picked it up the first time, I wasn't clamoring and getting upset about it and, and pointing fingers at the Louisville program. It's when you do it three times that I have the problem with it. And when your coach is seen maskless at a party after you beat Kentucky for the first time in freaking ages. So I'm... It's one of those things where dumb, little, untimely, unlucky incidents can happen. And we've seen them happen. This isn't going to be a whole sealed off thing like we saw with the NBA bubble, I don't believe. Like, if these kids want to go out to Chick-fil-A or something, they can go out to Chick-fil-A and something might happen. Like, who knows? Yeah, I think they're going to mostly just get 
food delivered to their right yeah you'd imagine the the smart teams will do that i'd imagine all 68 teams will do that but you never know yeah it's uh it's funny louisville i think in a way got the death penalty because when they came off their two pauses they've lost by combined they they have literally uh, got million points Yeah. yeah they lost i think by 45 something to wisconsin and then somewhere around there to unc when Tar Heels put up 99 on them. Uh, let's get into our one and dones from the week here. One and done. My guys. Obviously, we have one in our conference. It has a doctorate degree in one and dones, right? <laughs> if you're new to the show, that means that we basically just go over any little thoughts from the week and give a quick point or two, something that caught our eye from the week in college hoops. I want to take it back to Tuesday night. There were seven teams, seven ranked teams going against an unranked team. Three and four overall were the ranked teams. There were four big upsets on Tuesday night. All in the top ten. Right. There were a couple in the top ten. Illinois lost to Michigan State. We discussed that a little bit. Oklahoma with a terrible loss on the road in Manhattan to Kansas State. Kansas State now just 7-18 and on the year, and that's a team that had lost to a non-D1 team earlier in the year, so a bad loss for Oklahoma. Then Georgia Tech just crushes Virginia Tech off a COVID pause. Virginia Tech was... And that is in Blacksburg. Virginia Tech, 16th in the country. But now they've dropped to like 51 in the net. I think we both know they're probably not a ranked team, if we were right. guessing. Um, and then the last one, Ole Miss over Mizzou, which we talked about a little bit. There's mm-hmm. been a lot of upsets. And then the, the next week. day, Alabama drops one to, to Arkansas. Or wait. No, no. Okay. Yeah, that was they, the next day. Arkansas right. was a, a ranked team, though. Sure. Um, but, but worth noting that they do pull off, I guess, not the Vegas line upset, but in terms of the, the ranking-wise, they pull off the upset against Alabama. So three top 10 teams going down over the span of two days. And I guess you can tack on two more if you want to include Iowa and Ohio State into that discussion. It, it was just a Virginia. very disaster. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. It was just a disastrous week for the top 10s this week. And, and it got me thinking. Of all the top 10 teams that lost this week, who are the ones that you are worried the most? Where this loss is more of a revealing of the true colors versus a a blip in the radar and maybe maybe not a bad loss because you don't want to get too hot too early. And yeah, I mean, me, I've I always think, been... Uh, you can go ahead. I know where you're going here. I know where you're going. Yeah. You're, going you're pointing Oklahoma. at Oklahoma right here. Yep. <laughs> and I would agree with you because, well... I think they're still a very good team. I think they're still not quite the top 10 caliber that we think they are or that the, the that the AP voters think they are. And that's yeah. the one that scares me a little bit. I'm I'm not as worried, although I am starting to get a little more worried about Virginia because they still have not pulled off the big win so far this year, and now that's that's two losses in a row for them, both the, both games that they should have won. So that's starting to worry me a little bit. And the thing is, is like... Yeah, they've lost I three like, in a row, really, when you count yeah, Florida State. Yeah. Um, and the thing with Virginia is they worry me in the sense of, well, everyone, I think, is so wrapped up about them being the national championship team, the reigning national champs. That team is missing its entire pulse from that team. I mean, what, the only returning guy from big-time guys from those teams are Jay Huff, and uh Kihei Clark. Kihei. Yeah. So you look at those two and like those guys were were minimal role players on those teams. Those guys weren't stars that carried those teams. And now they're being asked to do that and I don't think Virginia is a bad team, but they're like a they're like a fifth ranked 15 team whereas that Virginia team that won it all, I mean we kind of felt like they were the best team almost wire to wire for that entire season. Right. I really think the ACC stinks. I've kind of danced around this a lot, and I watch a lot of ACC hoops. Just being well, don't don't in tell Josh Passner. I don't I don't I don't know if you saw what he said, but he thinks that there's going to be what like he thinks eleven teams should be getting into the, to the yeah, well, tournament from the ACC. I think like ten baloney. teams only have winning records or something like that. It's just there's no like Florida State is it, and they're going to win the regular season title at this point because they're ten and two, and Virginia's and now they're got legit four losses. good. Like, I, yeah. I really like Florida State. I do like them. But I think after that, Virginia, Virginia Tech, they shouldn't be ranked on Monday. We'll see if they are. Maybe Virginia will stay in the polls somehow. Virginia Tech absolutely shouldn't be. And I know they just came off a COVID pause. But I would say right now, the second best team in the ACC, you could make a case that 
like in terms of odds for the tournament and stuff, if you're just playing a straight up tournament that has no seeding, I think Duke and Georgia Tech might be in Clemson might be the second best team conversation. Like I don't think Virginia, I know they look good at the start of the year, but you're right. They just haven't beat anyone. And now they've dropped three in a row. I think the ACC tournament is going to be a total crapshoot. Like it's going to be wonky. There's going to be upsets. Duke might win it. Who knows who will win that tournament? And the other thing is UNC hosts Marquette this week. And I know it's a late schedule game, but, Marquette comes into the Deem Dome and basically blows them out. And it's kind of like, them. yeah, if Marquette is 100th in the net going into that game. They're bad in Big East standards, and they beat what we thought Zero was a chance pretty of good getting ACC into the tournament. Team. Like, I was always perplexed why Marquette wanted that game. I really was. Yeah. And well, I, don't ask Roy Williams why he's exactly, <laughs> Exactly. Here's what I'll say. Carolina made the Cardinals sin of inviting another Jordan Brand school into the house that Jordan holds. I mean, you go around, they probably felt like they were playing a home game with all the baby blues surrounding them, with the Jordan logos everywhere. I mean, Marquette had zero business winning that game. And they come down, albeit they do pick up an impressive short-notice road win. I got to give credit where credit is due, and the credit is, is in the hands of the Marquette Golden Eagles. But they had zero business, first of all, playing in that game, and then second of all, uh, of of going out and winning that game. I, I would have liked to see, and obviously I, I'm guessing there are no biters on it, but I would have liked to see some of these bubble teams go meet up at, at the Deem Dome and, and get a game in like that. It would have been yeah. better television. It would have, it, it just would have been better for everything. But that was a is tough what loss it is. for UNC. Yeah. It, I also... I cannot understand for the life of me how Marquette is now. I think they were 10 and 12 going into that game. Now 11 and 12. They should be good. They have like in the big, they have quality wins. Yes. And they have pieces. Like I think DJ Carden's good. I think Theo John's good. They have some good freshmen that entered the conversation. McEwen. I I just feel like it's the same thing as Michigan. Like I can name a lot of their guys. Yeah. And I don't even really watch Marquette that much. And I think that that means that they should be at least a bubble team to be not even on the bubble in a down big East is, is really puzzling to me. And yeah, you got to question the coaching and all that from that. Yeah. A real blow to Wojo for the, the Duke, the, the coach K power rankings, although he probably did take a hit. And, and I do want to bring up another, another sort of coach K power rankings sort of topic here. You know, Jalen Johnson, he left, and, and I started to think, you know what, we should do this every year because I feel like this might become a theme now, but the player who leaves midseason, the Kobe King candidate, this year is Jalen Johnson, but not so fast because Xavier Johnson has now left Pitt. Can the Panthers make a late little push here? And mm-hmm. especially since we know the ACC tournament's going to be a crapshoot. Can Xavier Johnson's Pitt Panthers make a little bit of a push here without Xavier himself? And can he claim the Kobe King candidate of player who leaves and then it's addition by subtraction? That's what I'm watching yeah. for in, in the ACC tournament. Adis Tony also entered the transfer portal for Pitt. He did. That's, so that is correct. I, Pitt, I mean, what? Is Stallings back? Like, what happened here? Yeah, because they lost McGowan's. He's now at Nebraska. Pitt has been... It's it's time that I think we have a conversation about is Jeff Capel just a good recruiter and a bad coach? Because when you look at his resume as a whole, he's had one like top 40 Ken Palm team in his career, and it was the Blake Griffin Oklahoma team. And yes, like he probably did a decent job with that team, but I'm not saying Pitt should have been lighting the world on fire, but they've got an all ACC first teamer. Yeah, they had some momentum yeah, at the I, beginning of the season. And, I mean, they had pulled off a couple big wins, some big wins on the road as well. And then everything just sort of fizzled out with them. And I don't, yeah. maybe there's some stuff going on behind the scenes that we don't know about. I mean, from the outset, that's one of the things that I would be be investigating a little bit is what went on behind the scenes with Pitt after, uh, after they got some of these big wins. Because not only that, not only has the production dipped, but you're seeing some of the, the big-time players, their minutes dipped. Like, Xavier Johnson went from going like 33, 35 minutes a night to then he goes down to 25, then 23, and 20. And 
you just saw the numbers decline. I, I'm wondering if there's something behind the scenes there that we don't know about. Yeah. So I kind of totally forgot about our weekend picks, but we can jump into them now because we got to keep that record and everything going. Um, there are some good games this weekend. We can start with the Big T- or Big 12 game at noon between 14th-ranked Texas and 18th-ranked Texas Tech. I don't really like either of these teams that much. I'm going to lean Texas Tech just because they are the home team in that matchup, I'd say. Yeah, I'll go with Texas. I, I think the the size could be one of the things that overwhelms Texas Tech in this game. We saw what David McCormick did to them, and I mean... Texas just kind of has three David McCormicks, so I'm going to roll with Texas. Cool. As for other games on Saturday, fifth-ranked Illinois, probably without Iowa. Is that confirmed? I think Not it's confirmed, basically, but I think it, it, yeah. it feels all but confirmed, yeah. And then they are on the road at Wisconsin, who is 23 somehow still. It's, it's kind of like seeing Virginia Tech at 16, yeah. at least for me. I, I don't really buy I, that. I'm with you, yeah. They, they're yeah. they're the, the doppelganger of the Big Ten right now. Yeah, I'm going to go Illinois, even if they don't have Iowa in that game. Right. I mean, Corbello played fantastic in the last game, and he'll he'll probably get the start in this one, I'd imagine. And I don't know. I mean, Wisconsin is falling apart at the seams right now. And I don't know, maybe this is the get-right game because they play a shorthanded Illinois team. I don't know, but I'm going to tail with you. I'm going to take Illinois. Great game at 8 p.m. on ESPN. I'm assuming it'll be Dan Schulman, Jay Billis, that whole crew. It is number two Baylor after skating by Iowa State in kind of a scary fashion earlier in the week on the road in the fog against 17th ranked Kansas. We thought at the start of the year this game might have potential to decide the Big 12. One team has six losses in conference play, one team has zero, but I still think this is going to be an awesome game. And, And basically, if Baylor passes this test, I think we can assume that they might end up running the table. They've got a tough stretch to finish, but... I'm pretty torn on this one. I'll go Baylor just because I think it's hard to pick against Baylor. But the way they played against Iowa State definitely is a little bit scary, given that now Kansas is kind of trending in the right direction as well. I'm taking Baylor in this one, but here's why I'm taking Baylor. The first game out of the pause is always the toughest, obviously. Makes sense. Haven't been doing a whole heck of a lot, and then all of a sudden you're asked to get into full competition. But the second game is where you start to see these guys go out and break souls. And that is what I think this Baylor team is built to do. I mean, we've seen it with Villanova, Florida State, all these teams, Michigan. They come out of these pauses and then they're expected to, if they scuffle out of the first game, then the second game they're like, oh, do, do they have it in them? Or are we seeing their real true colors? And they go out and then they blow out or pick up a convincing win in game number two. And, I mean, Baylor's just going to, I think, fit that status quo. I think this could get ugly. I really do. Uh, I like the Bears a lot in that game. Cool. And then Sunday, a great game in Big Ten play. Ninth-ranked Iowa and fourth-ranked Ohio State. The two teams that are coming off tough losses on Thursday night. Ohio State, the home team. That's a 4 p.m. tip from Value City Arena. I'll take Ohio State because I don't really know about the Connor McCaffrey, Jack Nungy status. And... I do think, despite what we said, how Ohio State's probably kind of going to hit a wall here and their ta- lack of talent compared to the other 1C candidates might catch up to them, I do think Iowa is just so one-dimensional. And then when you take off a couple guys from their roster, we've seen it enough now that if they do have injury issues in that game, they'll probably play way less than they like in terms of their skill level than they normally play. Yeah, I also like Ohio State in that game as well. I just I look at defensively, can can Iowa keep it going? I mean, I feel like, and again, you, you brought it up earlier in the show, but when they lose a guy, they feel like they are gutted. It feels like you have, you have taken the heart out of the body. And it, they might be shorthanded in this game. We'll have to wait and see, but I, I'm with you. I like Ohio State. All right, upset picks is the final thing now we have to do where we try and Pick a unranked team to beat a ranked team from the weekend. You get two points if you get this correctly. Ty, what have you hit? Like the last four or five? I didn't. Picks? I didn't hit my last one, but I did go three and zero to to okay. avenge the fact that I did not hit my upset pick. I am. I'm surfing right now. I'll let you know if anything catches my attention. But feel free to jump in if you've got something. All right. Do, There's a couple that catch my eye. Yeah. All right. I, I'm eyeballing a bunch here. 
the first one that I, and again, these are all chronologically, uh, particularly, but I'd see Tennessee going to Auburn. Tennessee is the most inconsistent team, maybe in the country, that we've seen reach the top 25 ranks. And I'm yeah. tempted to take the the Sharif Cooper-led Auburn Tigers. The only thing is, is Sharif Cooper did not play in the last game, and I don't know if it ever True. got disclosed why, so I'm a little wary there. Another game I really like, Oklahoma State taking on Oklahoma. I'm tempted to make that my game, that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the the Cowboys to take down Oklahoma. That game would be a, a road victory for Oklahoma State. And then I'm yeah. also looking and I see USC and Utah. USC, they're another one of those teams that can play a little up and down. This game is in Utah. Coming so, off a loss, the Trojans, they lost to Colorado last night, Thursday That night. is correct. And, and it is their third game of the week. So you know what? You just talked me into it. I'm going to take Utah. Third game of the week. And remember, they played Oregon first on a Monday, then they go out on a Thursday to take on Colorado, and now they're playing Utah on a Saturday. So you know what? That, that's a tough little stretch there for USC. Give me the the Utes in this one. I'm going to take Utah to, to outright beat the 19th-ranked team in the nation. All right. I'm going to take Oklahoma State over Oklahoma, partially because there's no point in me taking the same one issue, and this is my only chance to catch up. And also... I do think Xavier's got a shot against Creighton. I looked I like at that one, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like what I've seen from Creighton lately. Man, I'm torn to take that one because they are the home team. But I, I'm going to stick with Oklahoma State. I thought Oklahoma looked pretty bad. And, you know, it'll just be fun to root for Kate. I, I root. Yeah. Know, I pick stuff that it, I can again, root for. Yeah, exactly. You, you can never turn down an opportunity to root for Cade Cunningham. If he's on your television, and this is going to be an ABC game, so he's getting the primetime slot. If if you can watch Cade Cunningham, watch Cade Cunningham because you don't know how many more Cade Cunningham games you have left. Right. All right. Well, that will do it for our week here on the Made for March podcast. We will be back probably early next week, maybe Tuesday, Monday, somewhere in that range to recap all those games we just laid out and any other news and notes that come out from the week of college basketball. And we're getting ready for champ week. I mean, I know we're already kind of in it, but those power conference tournaments are on the horizon. We've got a lot of fun stuff planned for that in terms of predicting the tournament winners, doing our roulette, Champ Week roulette like we did last year. And now we'll actually maybe get to like pay out those bets because we did the Champ Week roulette yeah. and then no one could win and last year. No one so. played Champ Week, yeah. <laughs> All right, so knock on wood, it happens. It goes out without a hitch, but we will get you ready for Champ Week. It's a great time to subscribe to the podcast between March Around the Corner, the conference tournament games, and then if you're just getting into college basketball now, trying to pick your tournament bracket will give you all the details you need to know about that so hit subscribe wherever you get your podcast and we'll talk to you guys with a full weekend recap next week the game was over 